Good morning, everyone. It's such an honor for us to be with you. I'm John Marshall. This is Ruth. I've been in the ministry this month, 51 years, and I married Ruthie next month, 47 years ago. So she has been 90% of my ministry with me, the best part of my ministry with me. Amen. (laughs) And I have asked her, I want you to know her and get acquainted with her while we're here with you. So I've asked her to read the scripture, Matthew 26, 36, by the way, Matthew 26, 36. Do I hear Bibles rustling? If you have one of those apps on your phone that you use or iPad, I think you ought to get an app that makes a rustling sound when you tap it. it So we hear you. We know you're going to the Bible, all right? Ruthie's going to read the scripture, and then uh, she's going to pray before the message. All right, Ruthie? Church, please stand for the reading of God's word. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, sit down here while I go yonder and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to show grief and distress of mind and was deeply depressed. Then he said to them, my soul is very sad and deeply grieved so that I am almost dying of sorrow. Stay here and keep awake and keep watch with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself upon the ground on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, not what I desire, but as you will and desire. Please pray with me. Father, thank you so much for an opportunity to serve you in this place. Please examine our hearts for any impurities. Create clean hearts and right spirits in this room. We pray what you see today and the worship that is done in this place will be pleasing to you and bring glory to your name. You are our beautiful Savior. We love you. Amen. This is one of the most famous stories of Jesus' life, and it is our deepest look into the midnight of his soul. Here he is, the Son of God, alone, lying face down on the ground. Now, if if we knew each other better, I would get face down, but uh, since you don't know me that well, I'll save you that moment of me being face down on the ground here. It's not like you see in the pictures of him with the rock and looking up. No, he's crying out. He's screaming, giving everything he has in prayer to the Lord his father. He said that what is about to come was this cup. The storm is this cup. Now the ancients would use that phrase to talk about bitterness or sadness because it referred to the dregs that were usually in the bottom of the cups in the ancient world. They didn't have as good refining systems as we do. So it'd be dregs in the bottom of the cup. So if there's a trouble or a problem, you'd say, I'm drinking this cup. I'm eating these dregs. I'm having to take this difficult thing into my life. Now, what was it that was causing him such agony? The hardest part for Jesus was that in the morning, he was going to become the enfleshment of the very thing he hated most. On the cross, Jesus became sin incarnate. Your sin, my sin, 
the sin that's ever been committed, ever will be committed, was put somehow to the mind of God into the body of Christ. He literally drank your cup of damnation dry. That's what Paul meant when he said God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Peter said it. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Now, because of that, and you've been singing about it so beautifully this morning. Thank you for your wonderful singing. As you sang about it this morning, about him dying for us and taking our sins upon himself. What that means is, people do not go to heaven because they're good. They do not go to hell because they're bad. You want me to say that again? Oh, thank you, I will. People do not go to heaven because they are good. They do not go to hell because they are bad. God sent his son Jesus to deal with the sin issue. Jesus came and died on a cross for the sins of the world. The sin issue has been dealt with. Now the issue is if you will receive Jesus or not. If you receive Jesus, your sin debt is paid, is covered, you will go to heaven when you die. If you do not accept Jesus, then your sin is uncovered, not paid. You will not go to heaven when you die. Everything hinges on Jesus. Now, why is that true? Because he emptied hell for you into his own body. Now, knowing that this was going to happen, knowing that he was going to become the thing he hated the most, you you can feel his agony, just a, a torturous spirit in him. He's not trying to get out of doing his duty. He's merely deliberating with the Father. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit involved in what the ancients called the perichoresis, the dance around. Before the world was ever created, you had God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit so tightly loving one another and living with one another that the three were one. And somehow in that cauldron of affection, the decision was made that they would create beings who would rebel against them so that they could prove how much they loved. Now, when John said, God is love, we could know for sure that he really is because of the way he was going to treat people who rebelled against him. Not the way he treated his friends, not the way he treated angels, but the way he would treat those who were opposed to him, who sinned against him. So here he is, taking this damnation cup and going to drink it dry, And so he's asking the Father. Now he's come. The decision was made. The Father ordained it. The Son is going to do it. The Holy Spirit will forever draw lost people unto Jesus. And so now we come to this moment where Jesus is crying out and saying, Is there any other way we could do this? Now God the Father and God the Son had decided how it would be done. It's incorrect to call Jesus, Jesus before his birth. He is the second person of the Trinity. So when he's God... And only God, he made the decision that he would die for the sins of the world. But at Bethlehem, he became human. So you have him fully God and fully man. And now you see the human side. Not trying to get out of doing his duty. That's not what he's trying to do. Not trying to bypass his responsibility. He's negotiating with the Father as a human to the Father. Saying, is there any other way... We can do this without me having to become sin itself. If you forget the fact that Jesus was human, 
you lose one of the most beautiful parts of his life. Jesus was able to live a perfect life not because he was God. He was able to live a perfect life because he was a man who depended totally on God. The Bible says that when Jesus became a man, when the second person of the Trinity became human, that he became dependent, that he allowed, he emptied himself, which means he became dependent on God. If Jesus lived a perfect life because he's God, then he cannot be your model or my role model. We, we have no chance of following his example. But the fact that he is a human being who lived a perfect life because he depended totally on the Father, now I have a chance to live a holy life. I have a chance to be a righteous person. I have a chance to be pleasing to God because I, as he did, can depend upon the Father and the Holy Spirit. So what we have here is a look into the midnight of Jesus' human existence. He had to make a choice. God the Father sent the Son to die, but He did not force Him to die. So let's learn from this moment of prayer in the life of Jesus. His agony teaches us that our goal in prayer is not to be emotionless. Jesus begged to the point that the Bible says he sweat as it were great drops of blood. The Bible says an angel had to come from heaven to strengthen him. In prayer, we want to be intense. You want your prayers to have strong feeling. You want your prayers to be emotional. If your prayers bore you, why should you expect them to excite God? You should feel something. There should be something in your heart pushing and driving. And often it is pain. Now here's where the problem comes. The problem comes when we go to prayer to end the pain. The pain, that's God's choice. God decides when you will hurt and how you will hurt. And you can certainly come and ask for the pain to be relieved. But more often than not, your pain will not be relieved because it is the very pain that has driven you to prayer. So look at him. Look at the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, face down, screaming out, crying. Is there any other way? There will be no relief to the pain. None. Zero. Reminding us that when we come to the Lord with some trouble or some difficulty, the goal of the prayer should not necessarily ultimately be that the prayer will be granted, that the request will be granted. We come... Hurting, screaming, you can cry at God, you can say anything you want to, you can beg, you can agonize. But when you come, you must always be willing, when the prayer is done, to realize the pain may never go away. You have to come, finally, in your prayer to where Jesus did, to where he said, Now, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Easy to say, hard to mean. This is the secret of true praying. If you and I were granted only one more prayer, if, you were, if God said you can only have one more prayer, what would your prayer be? I believe if you sat around in a room full of godly people and they talked and they discussed, they would come to this right here. They would say, your will, not my will, be done. Because what else could you pray? That you would know for sure is God's will. Would your last prayer be that someone be healed? It may not be God's will. Would your last prayer be that God would bless your nation or something? It may not be God's will. The ultimate prayer is this prayer right here. 
You can say anything to God. You can agonize. You can cry out. You can do anything you want to in His presence when you come to the position of submission. That's what this is. This is the moment where you finally say, I submit. The most important thing about being a Christian is to be totally yielded to His will. Holiness matters most. That's my life mantra, by the way. Holiness matters most. Holiness is an inward love for the Holy One that results in an outward life worthy of the Holy One. It's entire submission to Him, whatever the Holy One wants, whatever He desires, holiness matters most. And one of the best tests of whether or not you are maturing spiritually is whether you can honestly pray this text or not. This is one of the things that marked the early believers. When they begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem, knowing he's going to get in big trouble, he finally told them to stop. He's going to go no matter what they said. Do you remember what the church said? They said, the will of the Lord be done. James, our Lord's brother, he warned about being prideful, about doing your will, what you want to do. He said, when you say you're going to do something, always say, if the Lord wills. In my dad's family, it was a custom. You say, I'm going to go to town, Lord willing. I'm going to do this, Lord willing. I'm going to do it, Lord willing. Now, I fear it became a habit. and There wasn't too much conviction, but the original intent behind it was worthy. Effective praying submits and says, whatever I pray to you, however loud I get and however I scream and however much I want something, when it's all said and done, I submit. That's what prayer is. Prayer is aligning my will with the Father's will. The highest victory in prayer is not when we change God's mind. You know, God's, God's in pretty good shape. He's pretty smart. He's got things pretty much under control. The greatest victory in prayer is not when you change God's mind. The greatest victory in prayer is when you change your mind. Jesus taught us to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's what's happening in prayer. So you come to God and there's some incongruence in your life. Things are, there's something you're really upset about, you really need help with. And so you come to God and you're coming at an angle here. You're saying, God, you've got to do something, right? So you continue to pray. You keep going around. Now, here's the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is that finally, you at least are willing to say, not my will, but thine be done. Whatever you decide is what we'll do. And when you line your will up with God's will, that's when you have the purpose of prayer, the purpose of prayer that you might know him, love him, and appreciate him more. Now, so, so here you are coming to God from your own angle, what you want to do. Until you get to where you can say, not my will, but thine be done. You have not truly prayed. If we do not come to this position somewhere in our prayer, if we do not finally say, not my will, but thine be done. If we shake our fist in the face of God. And like I said, you can say anything you want to say. You can scream, you can cry, you can pray, you can agonize. And when you, as long as you come back to the position of whatever you want. You can do anything you want to. If you do not come to that position, if you shake your fist in the face of God, you put yourself in the very dangerous position of trying to be your own God. Or may I take it even one step further? You put yourself in the dangerous position of trying to be the God of God. Not a very safe place to be. 
It's interesting. This very thing I'm preaching about is one of the main reasons there's not two or three times more people in this room than there are right now. Multitudes walk away from the faith because they did not get something they wanted that they prayed about, earnestly cried about, they screamed to God, and it didn't happen. And so what do they do? They just give up on the Lord. They give up on Christianity. They quit going to church because prayer did not get them what they wanted. And see, that's a total misunderstanding of what prayer is about. We win in prayer when we can sit in His presence and we come to the end of the prayer, no matter what the tragedy is. And Ruthie and I, in 47 years of marriage, we've seen tragedy upon tragedy, difficulty upon difficulty. Life has been hard for us, just like it's hard for everybody else. Tragedy after tragedy. And at some point, you have to be able to say, this is killing me. I am agonizing here. But Lord, I will come to this point where your will be done, not mine. And if I can feel your smile, then it's worth it. It's okay. One of the reasons that uh, it's so important that you come to this position is because everybody's life is full of troubles. Life is just that way. There are problems. But for the believer, no matter what the problems are, we have this civil war that rages inside of us. Why would God do this? God, what, what's the deal with this? What, what, what is the purpose? Why in the world? What are you saying to me? All right. So the Christian has the problem plus the civil war. When you come to the position of saying, not my will, but thine be done, you relieve the civil war. This is done. The problems are still there, but this inner war is solved. And so you need to come to that position. You need to ask yourself some questions. Do, do you envy someone who's more gifted than you are? You need to pray for that person. Ask God to bless them. And then you need to pray. Father, not my will. Thine be done. Do you ever wonder why God made you the way you are? Gave you the personality you have? Do you ever wish you were somebody else? You need to come to the place where you say, Lord, this is me. And not my will, but thine be done. We have to come to the place we move into the position of clay, whereas we want to be in the position of potter. We want to be the determiner rather than the receiver. And one of the things a Christian must always do is be moving into the position of the clay, to be malleable, to be moldable in the hand of the potter because the potter made us and he, he has the right to do what he wants to with us. Have you or a loved one been sick for a long time? Being sick for a long time is different from being sick. And all you're crying out to God, and you should cry out to God. You should scream at the top. You're like, God, I want you to heal this in my body. I want you to heal my wife. I want you to heal my... You ought to be crying out. You ought to be face down crying. But then also, you need to stop and say, But Father, not my will, but thine be done. Do you have a harsh attitude toward others? Have you said to the Lord, whatever you want to do in this relationship? Have you had a loved one unexpectedly die recently? You're dealing with it. You're struggling with it. Did you not get the promotion you thought you deserved? Have you not been treated well at school? Do you have family members that have strayed from God? This may be the hardest one on Ruthie and me. You raise people for the Lord, you raise them for God, and some serve the Lord, 
and some don't. And you go back in the private place. Everybody ought to have a panic place of prayer. I have a panic spot where I go to pray. And you just fall down on your face and you just cry out to God and say, God, it wasn't supposed to turn out like this. They weren't raised this way. It was supposed to be something better. But then you have to remember, God has his purposes. He is sovereign. He rules in the affairs of men. And at some point, you finally have to stop and say, all right, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Then you have to admit that sometimes you're just angry with heaven. God, why don't you fix this? You need to learn to pray the prayer of our text. As I said, Ruthie and I, we have suffered the ordinary problems of life. And so um, I have a very expensive uh, prayer thing. It's, my, it's, a, it's a folder. It costs about a quarter. But anyway, so, so for, for decades I have used folders for prayer. I, if, if one of you after church were to ask me to pray for you, I would say grab one of the, something in the pew and write on it, and it would go in here. This is my prayer folder. I was pastor of a mega church for 22 years, and I had a, every week I'd have a stack, a huge stack for several years. I'd have a stack of people to pray for. And, uh, and so uh, prayer was always very important to me, and I would um, uh, try to please the Lord in everything I did. But because of the tragedies and the problems, and sometimes you do want to ask why, not why in the sense of why did you do this, but why in the sense of why did you let this happen? What, what is the purpose? So through the years, I've kept a couple of things in my... Uh, Folder to always make me want to pray the Lord's will, not my will be done. There's my everyday things I pray over every day. And, and right there for 40 years, I guess, not my will, but thine be done. And then years ago, I read a poem about a guy who was crying out to God, Give me peace, or I must die. And he said the stars said nothing in reply. And finally, he gave up. Broken at last, I bowed my head. And forgetting all myself, I said, whatever comes, God's will be done. In that moment, peace was won. And then as I started getting um, old enough to retire, uh, I'm 66. I just turned 66 a couple of months ago, preaching 51 years. I started preaching when I was 15. I've always told churches they should have hired me back then because I knew everything. (laughs) My first sermon, I'm telling you the truth, my first sermon was on the difference between love and lust. I didn't know anything about love, but I was well acquainted with lust. My second sermon, that's that 15 years old, my second sermon was how to raise godly children. <laughs> it was a good sermon too, by the way. I, I basically told how my parents had raised me. All right, so I've been at this 51 years. So as I began to approach retirement, I've had two heart attacks and stroke. You know, and I could, we, could, you know, we could give you the litany of things you want to know about us. So, um, I thought, well, how will I do with retirement? Preachers don't do well with retirement. Preachers, they regret it. They say, well, I shouldn't have given up and all that kind of stuff. Well, Ruthie and I, we began to struggle with this. Does God want us to retire? And, and so I, I put in my prayer folder some quotes from Charles Spurgeon, the greatest Baptist pastor ever. He was the pastor in London in the 1800s. And he said, talking to preachers, he said, uh, what if God takes you from a large crowd and where he preached to thousands and you only preached to a few? Could you say, not my will, but thine be done? 
You've been the lead horse. But now what if God wants to put you behind? Could you do that? You've been active. You've served God with your hands and your heart. Success has crowned your labors now. Now the Lord may lay you aside. Is that okay? So I've used this for about a year, I guess, as I prepared moving toward the age of 66. And the Lord used that in my life to be able to say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Now, when you come to prayer, now hear me closely. When you come to prayer, you should always expect a miracle. That is the purpose of prayer. We, we are uniting with the divine. But let me make sure that you understand that the miracle usually is not outside you. The miracle is usually inside you. The miracle of prayer is not that God changes something. The miracle of prayer is that God changes you. If 51 years ago you would have told me all the tragedies of my life, they were going to come. I would have collapsed to the ground in a fetal position and would have never gotten up and never gotten out of bed the rest of my life. But the miracle is that through all the years you face these things and you come through and you sense the smile of God. So the miracle often has not been in the activity or in what I'm praying about, but the miracle often is in us. That's why we need to be careful about the phrase that all preachers have pet peeves. I have a pet peeve. My pet peeve is people who say, God did not answer my prayer. God answers every prayer of a believer. Everyone. You have never prayed a prayer since you became a Christian that God did not answer. The perfect son of God on his face before God, screaming out, is there any other way? What did his father say? His father said, no. Would you dare say that, that the father did not answer Jesus' prayer? Yes is not the only way to answer prayer. Now, when we say, we ask, did God answer our prayer? What we mean is, did God grant our request? Those are two separate things. Yes and no and wait are three ways that God answers every prayer that you're ever going to pray if you're a Christ follower. Sometimes he'll say yes. Often he'll say no. The most common one, according to human experience, the most common answer God gives to prayer is wait. That's because that's what keeps you in prayer. It is the thing that keeps drawing you closer to him. When we get to heaven, many of us in this room, some of our most grateful thoughts are going to be for the no, the times that God said no in our lives. You remember Garth Brooks' country song? He loved that woman, and he thought he would die when, when she broke up with him. And then the years went by, and he saw her, and he said, Thank God for unanswered prayer. God protects you with no. Don't ever forget this. Who destroys you with yes? Satan. It is Satan who excels in the yes to your whims and your thoughts. And what you want to do. It is God who protects you and builds boundaries in by saying no or saying wait. And you are no more spiritual if you get a yes than if you get a no and a wait. One of the ancient poets 
pictured Zeus, the, the main god. One of the ancient poets pictured Zeus as uh, taking prayer requests and looking at it for a moment and throwing them away. Look at it, examine it, and pitch it. And I fear there are some of us in this room who feel that way toward the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because God has not said yes over and over again, we, we think He's not paying attention. He's throwing things away. This has been a great struggle in my life. 51 years in the ministry, and I never became a prayer warrior. I never was one who, could, who people could bring me prayer requests, and I'd say, let's pray, and some great miracle would happen. Never. And you think in my position, that I've served, and the Lord has blessed me with this wonderful wife, my family, and the churches I serve. You think there should be some little more evidence, and you have a stack of cards this big every week, that you're praying over, you would expect God to do something. But for some reason, he opted not to let me be a yes prayer. For me, it's been no and wait. There have been some, obviously, but basically I'm not at that level. So the question comes, okay, pastor, if the issue's not yes, the issue might be no or wait, what's the deal with prayer? Why do you keep coming? If you know you're not a prayer warrior, why do you get up every day and thumb your way through the prayer folder? Why do you do that? That's a great question. And I was helped. I was helped by another pastor, a man named Henry Ward Beecher. He was the famous pastor of the 1800s. Lincoln, President Lincoln called him the most important man in America. And when the slavery issue was first beginning to, to come up, he would have slaves come up on his platform, and he would auction them off, and they'd set them free. So he was very controversial, and Lincoln said of Henry Ward Beecher, the preacher, he is the most important man in America. And uh, Henry Ward Beecher said he would pray if he never got an answer, he said, what made him love God the most was that the almighty God of the universe wanted sinners to talk to him. The prayer itself becomes the token of worship. It becomes the beautiful sign of life yielded to the Lord. It, in itself, it is this almighty God who is listening who never throws my prayer away. He never does this. But every time I pray, he ponders and he says, Hey, John, it's good to hear from you today. John, I love you. I know what you want, son. But today it'll be best if we put that away maybe later but John would you keep talking to me would you come just because I love you and you love me would you, could we do this thing would you be like my son face down on the ground crying out and screaming hearing no but still praying alright every head bowed and every eye closed Now, Christians, every one of you in this room, you came with something that burdens you. You came with something heavy on your heart. 
And you just need to check your soul and make sure, 100% sure, are you sure that you have reached the position of the clay and not the potter? Are you for sure that you can say, not my will, but thine be done? You need to pray. Every Christian in the room should be praying right now. Not my will, but thine be done. Now let me take just a moment for the unbelievers who are here. It would be wrong to let people come into a house dedicated to the honor and glory of the Father's Son and not at least give them a chance to know Him. When I was a little boy, six years old, my dad led me in a prayer and I became a Christ follower. Now, the words do not, did not save me. Christians do not believe in magic. We don't say a prayer, it's got these magical words, and all of a sudden we're believers, no. But I'm going to pray a little prayer, a simple prayer in just a moment. And there are some of you maybe who have been considering following Jesus. You want to become a Christ follower. And maybe the words will help you say what you want to say. Once again, the words do not save you. There's no magic here. What saves you is that the words just merely allow you to produce the thought, bring to the surface what you are sensing. And so if this prayer would help you do that, I'd like to lead you in it. I'll pray it out loud, phrase by phrase. And if it helps you say what you need to say, then you pray it silently as I pray it out loud. Dear Jesus, I am sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Come live in my heart. I receive you as the master of my life. Amen. Now, everyone, would you look here at me? All eyes fastened to the front. If you've prayed the prayer and you sincerely have asked the Lord in your heart, we'd love for you to talk to Pastor Michael after the service. Come talk to me or someone. Maybe you want to join this church. Well, come talk to the staff, talk to one of the leadership. Now, we're going to sing a song. And while we sing the song, you might want to come kneel and pray. That's all right. You can pray. But it's a song of contemplation, allowing you the time to think and to ponder and maybe let it soak in what has been said today. As we stand and sing, we come.